so here we go. Uh, Galatians chapter number five. Galatians chapter number five. Everyone good this morning? You with me? I didn't bore you too much about leadership conference. Are you excited about leadership conference? All right, there we go. I'm excited about it as well. I want to bring a message this morning entitled Finding Freedom, Finding Freedom. And of course, Paul wrote this uh, portion of scriptures to the church of Galatia. They were in bondage uh, to Judaism and really uh, keeping the, the law. And Paul, Paul was helping them to understand the freedom that they have in Christ. And that's what I want to talk about here in the few moments that we have together. We'll just read a few verses together for our scripture reading. And uh, let's see here. We'll begin here in verse number, verse number 16. So Galatians 5, verse number 16. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if ye be led by the Spirit, ye are not under the law. I don't know about you, but I don't like doctor's visits and checkups. Anyone else with me? I don't like, I remember back in 2009, I received a phone call. I was diagnosed with cancer, and, and that led to kind of a rough uh, time in our life where we were going through treatments and surgeries and things like that, and we got through that, but the, the unfortunate part uh, after clearing that stage was all of the checkups, and maybe you've had a loved one that's gone through that before, and I remember every month going in for checkups for some time, and every time there was a checkup, there's a blood draw. I don't like needles. Anyone else with me, you don't like needles? I've passed out before on three occasions for a blood draw. One time uh, uh, we had a, uh, uh, someone come to our house for life insurance. They had to take a blood draw. I passed out right there in my, in my own home. I just don't like, I don't like blood. I don't like needles. I don't like checkups. But I never skipped one because I knew how important those checkups were. Galatians chapter number five for us is a, is a bit of a checkup. We read in verse number seven, ye did run well, who did hinder you? And so there was a time where these believers were doing well, but not, now they're not doing as well. The temptation with this passage in the short amount of time that we have is, is to think that we don't need it. While there may be familiarity, for many of you perhaps in here, there's not victory. Uh, there's, no vi there's no liberty. You're still in bondage. And so this passage for us is a wake-up call to stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. And so what Paul does here in this passage, he outlines for us a path to freedom, rehearsing these elementary, elementary truths that we so often reject. So here's what he outlines for us. First of all, the Apostle Paul gives us a strategy. And the strategy is this. It's simple, to walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. We read this in verse number 16. So what is the Spirit? Romans chapter number 8, verse number 9, tells us this. But ye are not in the flesh, but are in the Spirit. So if the Spirit of God dwell in you. So here's what we know the Spirit of God is. is the Spirit is. It's God dwelling in us. It's that third person of the Trinity. Uh, Jesus said in John 16, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away 
For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you, but if I depart, I will send him unto you. And then we read in Acts chapter number 1, verse 8, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. In Ephesians chapter number 1, we read of the earnest of our inheritance. So it is God living within us. It is uh, what guides us, what empowers us and strengthens us. The Holy Spirit convicts us. The Holy Spirit fills us. We can be filled with the Spirit or we can grieve the Holy Spirit of God. So Paul gives this command here. This I say then, walk in the Spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now, why did the Apostle Paul use the term walk? Why did Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, stress the importance for us as believers to walk in the Spirit? Uh, walking in the Spirit is the simplest yet most profound description of what the Christian life should be. And this isn't the only place we're instructed to walk in the Spirit. We're told in Scripture to walk as children of light. We're told to walk by faith. We're told to walk circumspectly. We're told to walk after the Spirit. So why, why in Scripture is our relationship to the Holy Spirit framed this way? There's a few things about walking. First of all, walking is intentional. Walking is intentional. When I go in for a checkup, sometimes my doctor will say, are you exercising? Uh, and I'll hang my head and I'll say, no, I should be. Uh, and, he'll, and my doctor will say, Dr. Cole will say, you need, to, you need to walk, maybe even walk 30 minutes. And the reason he's prompting me to do that is because it's a decision that has to be made. It's intentional. Walking is continual. For us walking in the spirit, we never arrive. I, I look at the leadership conference and the, the speakers that are coming in. I'm looking forward to hearing Dr. Sisk on the, on the final night of the, the leadership conference. And, uh, and I'm excited about the message that he's going to bring. But even as Dr. Sisk, I look at him to me personally as a, as a hero, as a giant in the faith. Uh, there's, there, there's a need even for Dr. Sisk to continue walking in the spirit because you never arrive. So we walk in the spirit. It's intentional. It's continual. Any of you guys ever seen one of these walkways in the airport where you get on? And uh, my kids always want to do this. This isn't, this isn't my kid. I don't have a boy. But, but my kids always want to get on these uh, moving, these people movers the wrong way. I mean, you know, ever done that before? It's kind of fun. If you go with it, you feel like a, a bionic superhero. You know, you feel like you can walk really fast. If you get on the wrong way, you, you're always walking. And so we are in the spirit. It is continual. We never arrive. It is intentional. It's directional. This is one of, the, um, one of the difficult parts that we're figuring out about parenting is sometimes just getting our kids from point A to point B. It's so difficult sometimes. Even we'll arrive at church, we'll park, and we'll do the same thing every Sunday. They know where their class is, but they always want to walk in different directions. So walking in the Spirit, it's intentional. It is continual. It's directional. Meaning God is going to lead you in a direction. He's going to lead and guide you with the Holy Spirit. We observe this in, in Scripture. Even in Abraham, he went out not knowing whithersoever he went. But it's also relational. I believe it is framed this way, walking in the Spirit, because of the relational aspect, walking with God. Uh, the Bible says in Amos 3.3, can two walk together except they uh, be agreed. In the ancient world, learning and growing in knowledge came by walking. In fact, in Greece, Aristotle founded the peripatetic school. A peripatetic means to travel from place to place. So the schools, the rabbis, the teachers, they would learn by walking around. And, and we learn in walking in the spirit. So this is the strategy to walk in the spirit. I use the word strategy, but scripture gives us another word. And the word that you're familiar with is the word sanctification. 
It is the continuing work of God by the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer, changing an individual to become more like the image of God. Sanctification is the process by one's moral condition is brought into conformity with one's legal status before God. I think it's helpful for us to see just the process of sanctification beginning at salvation. I think we got a chart here. The first box is positionally. This is we are, we have been redeemed. We've been regenerated. The next box here is progressive. This is, this is uh, the change that we experience on a daily basis uh, uh, through the change agent of the Holy Spirit. And then there's the perfect, this is glorification, where one day we'll be in heaven with Christ in glory and we'll experience that, that glorification. I think sometimes of, of the Disneyland app as an illustration uh, for walking in the Spirit. And uh, if you've ever been to Disneyland or theme park where you've downloaded uh, the app, and I remember we went to Disney World a few years back and we were familiar with Disneyland. Disney World, if you've been to both parks, there's a little bit of a different uh, 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 layout. And so we got the app and uh, one of the rides that they had there was, I believe the next slide shows the, the Seven Dwarfs Mine. We don't have that ride at Disneyland, so I thought, that would, be, that would be neat to go ahead and hop on this ride. So what I did is I got the app out and it could track your location. I could see where I was. And what I would do often, and maybe you've done this as well, is I'd stop often and I'd see where I was uh, in relation to the ride. And this is, this is a good thing for us to do, to, to come to God's word and say, listen, I'm not where I started and I'm not, I'm not in glory yet, but am I closer? Am I heading in that direction? And that's what it means to walk in the Spirit. That's the strategy that we're given here, to walk in the Spirit. But what Paul does next is he acknowledges the struggle. And the struggle is that the flesh opposes the Spirit. We all know this, uh, not just by definition, not by a textbook answer. We know this by daily experience. Verse number 17 says this, For the flesh lusteth, that means is set against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. So we define spirit, but let's, let's talk about the flesh. What is the flesh? The word flesh, the Greek word sarx, refers to physical flesh, meat, humanity. It's referring to the fallen nature. Romans chapter number eight says this, so because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. So what is the flesh? The flesh is the part of humanity that has been fractured by sin. It is a part of our thinking that is opposed to God. I want to illustrate it here with two circles. So we've, we've talked about the spirit, but now we're talking about the flesh. And the Bible says that these two are contrary one to another, so they cannot do the things that you would. Let's put up the second circle here of, of the flesh. So we got the flesh and the spirit. And this is where we live. We, we live every single day in between somewhere, don't we? We, we, we've not experienced that perfect glorification. We still got to deal with the flesh. We've been given victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We'll see in just a moment. But this is the reality here. And this is what Paul faced as well. And in, in, in the book of Romans, chapter number seven, we, we can read Paul's frustration. He says, for I know that in me, that is my flesh, the side on the left, that is in my flesh dwells no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. So what Paul is saying here is like, I might have the best intentions. The will is there. I want to do this, but then I, I, I can't find a way to do it. For the good that I would do, 
For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil, I would not that I do. Uh, so I end up doing what I shouldn't do. And, I, and uh, I, I don't do what I should do is what the Apostle Paul is saying. Verse number 20 of Romans chapter number 7. Now if I do that I would, it is no more I uh, no, that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin. So your, our flesh and God's spirit are diametrically opposed. They have contrary agendas. This is like fire and ice, darkness and light, life and death, oil and water. Uh, they are opposed to one another. There is an invisible war within every single one of us as believers. And, and just like perhaps cancer and illness, you can't see it, but you can see the effects of it. And that's why Paul gives us this side-by-side -side comparison that we're so familiar with. He gives us the comparison of the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. So real quickly, we'll put these up on the screen here. So the works of the flesh, we have adultery, fornication. This is speaking broadly of sexual sin, uncleanness, speaking of impurity, lasciviousness. This is a person that's lewd or just ready to sin, unbridled urges, unrestrained thoughts. So the first category is sexual sin, but then there, there's religious sins, idolatry, and witchcraft, the word there, pharmakia. Then there's personal sins. There's hatred, which is the great motivator for so many other sins. Variance, this is someone who's combative or just full of strife. Emulations, this is jealousy, wrath, uncontrolled outbursts, this is speaking of. Strife, um, seditions, uh, uh, heresy, someone that introduces lies, envies, ill will or ma malice, murders. And then there's the social sins of drunkenness, revelings, and it says that these, uh, as, as we read the, the list here in, in, uh, in verse number 19 and verse number 20, continuing down into verse number 21, it says, And such a like which I tell you before and have told you in time past, and they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So these things come naturally. These things are not, have to, we, we do not have to learn how to do these things. But in contrast, we see here the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, Faith, meekness, uh, temperance, against such there is no law. Now these lists are a sampling. They're not exhaust, exhaustive. These are a sampling of what it looks like. This is a snapshot of when the flesh wins and when the Spirit leads us and uh, is, is fill, filling our lives. So why then did the Apostle Paul use the word fruit? A few reasons. First of all, the growth of fruit is first of all internal. If you've ever planted a garden before, uh, the, f the most boring parts of the plant are the first few weeks. We plant a garden every year at our house. We had a lot of watermelons this year. For whatever reason, the watermelons did really well. But the first few weeks are always the most boring because you don't see anything. That growth is, first of all, internal. You know, sometimes we come to even Bible college. We want God to do great things through us, but we haven't allowed him to do anything in us. And the fruit of the Spirit is first and foremost, it's within us. It's internal. The Bible tells us, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. The growth of fruit is also gradual. The Bible tells us, but grow in grace in the knowledge of 
of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. So you'll notice here that it doesn't say that we arrive in grace or that we appear in grace, but that we grow in this grace. So the, 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 the growth of fruit is internal, first of all. It happens inside before everyone, anyone even sees. Then it's, it's gradual. It's not instantaneous. But growth of fruit is inevitable. Matthew chapter number 7 says, Ye shall know them by their fruits. So if Christ is alive and well in you, if the Holy Spirit is at work, there will be evidences of that. We planted some fruit trees a few years ago, and we, we, every fruit tree was labeled. But as, the, as time went on and the sun came out, they, they kind of cracked and peeled the labels, and the labels fell off. Well, we knew uh, what the fruit trees were by the fruit that they bore. It became obvious. So it's gradual. It is internal. The growth of fruit is inevitable. But then the growth of fruit is symmetrical. And this is a very important truth to realize this, that when Paul describes the works of the flesh, he does so the works, plural, but then he speaks of the fruit of the Spirit. And the idea here is that we don't just pick and choose one of these and then that's, that's the fruit of the Spirit. And sometimes we do this. We, we grade ourselves spiritually on a curve. We look at a list, the fruit of the Spirit, and we think of, well, I do well in this area, but, you know, uh, now we'll compensate for this area. I don't do well. No, when God is working in you, you will experience this fruit in all of directions. It's not, um, it's not when, when it says the, the fruit of the Spirit, it isn't singular. Here's, uh, I wanted to show you the cherry tree. We planted a cherry tree. We've had the cherry tree now for four years in our backyard. We have yielded an incredible harvest of one cherry. And this is the one cherry that we've produced, right? We've only had one cherry. We were so excited when we got this one cherry, right? This is our one cherry. So I brought it in. I'm like, Ashley, we, we have a cherry now, finally. So I brought it in. I'm looking at, I have one cherry in my hand. I look at my wife. I look at my kids. Everyone's mouth starts watering. So what did I do? I divided that cherry in four ways and we split the one cherry. So when it says the fruit of the spirit, it's not just talking about, uh, you know, a a small yield. It's talking about fruit in every direction, not just singular, uh, but in all directions. So here's the recap here. Love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. By the way, against such, there is no law. No one's ever made a law against any of these. Before we wrap up this thought, though, Can you produce the fruit? If I brought a cherry in or a a tomato and I said, I I grew this tomato. Did I really grow that tomato? I mean, technically, scientific. I think I don't think I'd be lying to say that. But technically, did I grow the fruit? Is it you that produces the fruit or is it God? If it's, if it's all and only of God, I believe that would suggest apathy, that we don't have to do anything. If it's all of us, none of God, that would be just activism. What we can do is we can make sure that the, the environment is right and cultivated right so God can do the work in and through us. And that's what it means to walk in the Spirit. You know, if you're like me, I, I like to-do lists. And I like sometimes to, to check off to-do list or, or just tell me what I'm supposed to do. Listen, the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 5, is not simply just a to-do list that we check off. If it, it is not, and let's go back to this, this list here of the comparison of the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. If there's an issue with lust 
or fornication, the way to have victory in that is not just to decide to not lust, but instead to be filled with the Spirit, to love like we should. And sometimes we set ourselves up for failure because we focus on the left side of the list and we want to stop doing all these things and we put no effort into walking in the Spirit. Can I tell you this morning, victory is found in the Spirit. If there's a struggle on the left side, and there is for every single one of us, victory is found in the Spirit. So there's the strategy, there's the struggle, but let me tell you this and we're done. Here's the solution, Jesus Christ. If you go back to Romans chapter number seven, where Paul is saying, oh, wretched man that I am. It's just like this, this pinnacle moment. You can sense his frustration and we felt it before. He says, who shall deliver thee from the body of this death? What a moment. We've all felt that way before. But then you continue in the next verse. He says, I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The solution is Jesus. You see, we were dead in the trespasses of our sin. There wasn't a struggle. There wasn't a spiritual pulse. pulse. But God, in that we were yet, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us to make us alive. He quickened us. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter 3, for Christ also hath suffered uh, for our sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Here's the solution. So Paul says, listen, this is the strategy to walk in the Spirit. Let's acknowledge there's a struggle to this. How do we find victory? Victory is found and given to us in Jesus Christ. He has given us the victory. That's why Paul continues here. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh and the affections and lust. So I want to end with this. Then how do we deal with sin in our life? So we see the strategy to walk in the spirit. We see, we recognize the struggle that the spirit and the flesh war against one another. And we see the victory is in Jesus Christ. But how should we then effectively deal with sin in our lives? Let me give you a few thoughts and we're done. First of all, embrace your identity in Christ. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 and 2 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. You see, we, we, live, from, uh, we live from an identity, not for an identity. I've used this illustration before. Sometimes Blair, she's our middle child. She is seven years old and she's kind of our wild child. She's always bouncing off the wall. We went to Washington, D.C. We got to go into the Capitol. The kids got to go on the, the Capitol uh, on, 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 the, on, the, on the floor to vote. And um, they had a great time. But Blair is always bouncing off the wall. And sometimes I tell Blair, and I did on that trip, I said, come here. Listen, you're a chapel. You need to act like a chapel. <laughs> and, and you guys ever have parents that do that to you? Like they invoke your last name, like that things get more serious when they remind you of your last name. I don't know if it didn't work for Blair, but I tried. You know, I told her like, Blair, listen, you're a chapel. Now, what, what was I telling her? Was I saying, Blair, you need to act better so you can be a chapel. That's not what I was saying. Saying you are, no matter what she does, she bears our name. She represents our family. Listen, as as believers in Christ, we've been given identity. We are in Christ. We don't work for that identity. We work from that identity and understanding that we have been given the victory. Should we continue in sin? God forbid. 
So accept and embrace your identity in Christ. In Christ, we are forgiven. We are no longer defined by who we were or what we had done. We were children of wrath, but now we are children of God. Embrace and live and remind yourself of that identity. The second thought here, and we'll wrap up, is to expose all sin. So how should we handle and deal with our sin? We see this struggle. Well, expose it. 1 Corinthians 5, 4, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsel of the hearts. And then shall every man have praise to God. You see, hiding sin compounds the problem with a new sin, hypocrisy. When we hide sin, we never successfully hide sin. We only compound the problem and add additional layers of sin upon sin. Expose that sin. See the sin in your life for what it is. See the sin in light of the cross and, and, and the fact that God has exchanged our sin for his righteousness. But then finally, how should we deal with our sin? We should execute it. We should execute it. The Apostle Paul wrote in Colossians, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. Listen, you can't reason with sin. Get to killing your flesh. Starve it. Uh, it's possible to be distressed by sin, but unwilling to do anything about it. So I came home a few years ago, and uh, we opened our garage door, and I saw a shadow run across the back wall of our garage. And I didn't know what it was, but I saw the shadow, and it looked large, and I thought it was a mouse, but you guys know how the cartoons do it sometimes. It's a big shadow, but then it's a really small figure. I thought it's my headlights casting a large shadow and there's a, there's a big mouse. Or, and so we have security cameras at our house and I have a security camera in my garage. And so we, we pulled in the garage and we knew we saw something, but I went back to the security camera to see what it was. And it looked pretty big on the security camera. But, you know, that's kind of hard to tell too. So what I did was I saw that there is... There is um, there was a toolbox in my garage that this thing ran across, and I thought, well, I'll go measure the toolbox and see in reference. And I got out there to measure it, and I'm like, this thing is not a mouse. This thing is a rat. I've never had a rat in my house. This thing has to be a rat. It's like that long. I'm like, this is terrible, right? So I, I tell Ashley, we're going to have to get a rat trap. Well, Ashley's the animal lover. You got any animal lovers here? She's, so I went to go buy this giant rat trap. It looks like a mouse trap, but just like a lot bigger, and she didn't want that. So what she said, she's like, oh, that's so mean. It's so she's watching the, the security footage and she's like, that's disgusting, but it's so cute too. And like, that's, that's how my wife thinks through things, right? So she found this trap. It's called the have a heart trap, have a heart trap. And she said, we got it. I mean, we got to get rid of this thing, but I don't want to be mean to it. And so ah, I put this dumb trap out and I have a security camera. So this rat put on a show for us every day. It was, it was like an escape artist, like seriously. We'd put cheese, like serious, like the whole charcuterie board, is that what you call it? Like the whole thing right there. And the rat would come in, have fine dining, and then take off. And then the, the rat, the trap would fall like as soon as the rat left. And we did that for weeks. We fed this thing. I don't even know how it fit in the trap. We were feeding it so much food. It would go in every night, it would get the food, and it would run. And never had an issue with that trap. I mean, we really had a heart. We fed this thing really well for weeks. Well, finally, I said, hey, listen, I'm, I'm done with this. So I got, I got a rat trap, a real one. And I set it up and uh, we were doing, we were having an event here. And I remember I called, I was on the phone with Pastor Dean Miller. And this is after battling this rat for like 
a month, we open the garage and I see running around my garage, a rat trap <laughs> running around. And I'm like, that doesn't seem right. And I get closer, and I'm talking to Pastor Miller, and we're kind of having an important conversation. I didn't want to, like, stop the conversation to give him the whole backstory that I just gave you. So I'm like, uh-huh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, and I'm going around, and this thing's running fast. And I, I don't want it to, like, escape. It's got, it got half-trapped by, things were not looking good for the rat, okay? It got half-trapped, but it was still had a little bit of life running. And it was running around, blood, it was everywhere. I know it's gross, isn't it? This is my garage, this is gross. And I'm talking to Pastor Miller and the rat's going back and forth and I'm, I'm, I'm not letting him on. Like, I don't want to tell him like there's a rat in our house. That's gross, you know? So it's running back and forth, but I don't want this thing to get loose and then run somewhere and hide and die. And so it's running around and finally I'm, I'm chasing it. Finally, I just got it. Just like, that was it. It's gross, I know. But I want you to remember something. Some of us with our sin, we, we do the, the cute things with it. We try to have a heart with it. We try, to, we try to negotiate with it. We try to minimize it. We try to make it not big of a deal. If you're going to get victory, you've got to execute it. You've got to kill it. And we're done. Romans says, make no provision, provision for the flesh. Mortify the members. John Owen said, there is no way of deliverance from the state and condition of being in the flesh, but by the spirit of Christ. Do you mortify? Do you make it your daily work? Be always about at it whilst you live. Cease not a day from this work. Be killing your sin or it will be killing you. The works of the flesh, uh, the fruit of the spirit. Well, that entirely depends. Are you walking in the spirit or actively killing the flesh? Let's have a word of prayer.